All right, here we go. February 19th, 2019. Should that be my new thing? Telling you the date. 2-19-19, Josh Rosenberg in a chair, speaking into a microphone with you today, wherever you may be. I want to invite you to sit back, relax, focus on your breathing. Now focus on me. Now focus on your breathing. Now back to me. Okay, relax, unwind, breathe in. Now listen to me. I'm noticing a lot of these guided meditations are becoming corporate. You got to love it. We're going to take this ancient Buddhist practice called meditation, and then we're going to roll it into a ball of capitalism, put it on an app, and ask you to pay some money for it, and then you can really reflect and better yourself. I love how mainstream and corporate meditation is now. Isn't it great? It's not just the hippies in Spirit Rock. Oh, no. It's not just the granola kids in Golden Gate Park. No, no. They're meditating on Wall Street. They're meditating in Silicon Valley. They're meditating in the schools. You hear me? The schools. How beautiful is that? The high school I teach at last week, there was Wellness Week. And they turned our classrooms into wellness centers for a couple of periods. And one of the classes was mindful meditation, of course. And I walked by and I noticed it was one of my old friends leading the class. Went in, gave her a hug, talked a little bit and realized, oh, you got a full business going. Right now is the time. There's nothing hippy dippy about it anymore. There's dollar signs connected to this. People want to remove the chaos from their brains. People want to be able to reflect, and we just can't do that naturally. So we need a guide. We need a guru. We need an app. And now you're even seeing a lot of these apps do what advertisers do. Voted number one meditation app. Who's doing the voting? This false advertising. Think about every ad you've ever seen. There's a lot of number one cheeseburger in town. I remember in San Diego, there was a casino ad on TV. Voted loosest slots in San Diego. Come on down to our casino. We've been voted loosest slots. What, what does that mean? Where's the election? Where's the voting happening? All of these are baseless claims, right? Just yesterday, I was driving up to Ronert Park, going through Petaluma on the side of the road. I saw an oil change. Voted best customer service. Who voted? That this place had the number one, I'm talking about the most superior customer service of all oil changes in the region. I'm not buying it. This is all made up, right? It's just a boss who goes into the room talking to all of the employees. Hey, raise your hand if we're the best. All the hands go up. All right. Official poll. We are now an award-winning business. Voted number one. No one's really voting. Maybe the local newspaper has a poll, but most businesses on TV, they like to tell you, oh, we're at the top. Brugger's Bagels wants to invite you in for the most spreadable cream cheese in all of San Francisco. Voted most spreadable. I'm in. Damn those difficult to spread cream cheeses. Voted strongest coffee. Uh, number one car wash. Because right after a car wash, I want to vote. I get Yelp. Yelp seems a little more quantitative. But just the baseless claims that you're the best, I love those. Loosest slots. Just money is falling out onto the ground at these casinos. You know, we had a big vote last week. And in the end, 
we were voted the loosest slots in all of San Diego County. So come on in. We'll just hand you cash at the door and then you could get a bunch when you're inside. Voted tip top number one greatest meditation app ever. All the other ones, fuck them. That's the slogan. They're telling you to focus on your breathing. Well, we are, yeah, telling you to focus on your breathing too. What are they telling you? Do a body scan? Potty scan bullshit? Well, we are, yeah, we're doing the same thing. They're all the same. They're all the same. And now there's so many out there. Why? Why? I think you know why. As we navigate through this mysterious thing called life, people want to try to be a little more present. Otherwise, if you just allow your mind to go, it's going in all different directions. It ain't focusing on your breathing. You have insomnia. You're either thinking about things from the past that have happened or you're anticipating things from the future. Guarantee if you were to focus on five straight breaths, five straight breaths and no other thoughts, nothing. Just you're looking at the back of your eyelids. That's how dark black it is. You'll be asleep. There you go. There's your cure. We're built to be anxious. We're built to be stressed. It's tough to accept that, right? Even when I say that, oh, scientifically, our human brains are built to be anxious and very stressed out. And we're always bothered, uh, consumed with the negative. I've talked about the scientific studies. None of it makes it feel like, okay, well, now that we know it, that's fine. It's better. No, people still now need to incorporate all sorts of things from fitness to yoga, eating right, and blah, blah, bliggity, blah. But it's a mystery. I keep saying that. What we're doing right now, from the moment we come out of the womb with our consciousness, developing our identities, thoughts about the world, where we're going, when does it end, does it truly end? Does our spirit transfer? Does our soul move on elsewhere? These big questions. I was telling my wife, nobody knows. And she goes, eh. She goes, eh. Some people think they know. I go, what? She goes, yeah. Shouldn't we be jealous of these people? These religious people. I don't want to call them religious fanatics. That word sounds negative. But these religious people who are so guided by the graceful words of God and scripture that they just live their lives here on earth with certainty that a heaven exists, a beautiful heavenly afterlife. And if you live a pious life without sinning or at least confess your sins and show remorse, then no hell for you. Uh, no hell for you. No hell for you. No hell for you. Uh, maybe hell for you. No hell for you. Some people are convinced that we're on this board game. We're actually living a board game called heaven or hell. And they live their entire existence with a certainty. Now, I was making the point that nobody is certain. That at the end, at the finish line of life, there's something else. But my wife, she said, no, no, no. We should envy these people. Don't you? Don't you envy these people who live a fearless existence because they're so certain something is ahead? Something is after? It sounds desirable to a certain extent. But I guess there's a little atheist living in me little atheist living inside of me not big but you know that little voice little tiny voice trying to tell you there's no proof there's no proof so why would you just envision that there's something else this is it folks see i happily declare sometimes that religion is man-made and i don't say that negatively i think it's one of the great inventions create community create faith faith could be a very nice thing a big positive 
But some people might get offended and go, no, no, no. Religion, that's like the manual that comes with this existence. You know, it tells us all the answers. We got all the answers now. My God is the God. I don't honor anybody's beliefs, but my own. And I'm on this path. I'm on this track. I'm going somewhere and I'm not going to waver. Me, all I do is waver. Every day I'm just wavering. Now I have this thought. Now I have that thought. But if I'm wavering so much, that means it's a mystery. And I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. If you think you're so certain, I respect that. But I also respectfully disagree. And this truly leads me to what I was going to talk about. I finished a book. It's called Educated by Tara Westover. It's a memoir. And it was really good. Well written. Bravo. When I tell you what it's about, it's even more surprising and admirable that it's well written. You see this woman, Tara. She's only 32. Or 33, I forget. But she already wrote her own memoir. That means what has transpired in her life is so exciting and gripping that it has become a New York Times bestseller. The story of her life. Usually you think a memoir you would write much later in life when you're really looking back on all the many chapters of life. But what happened to her throughout her upbringing is pretty astounding. And I was binge reading. It's rare that I binge read. You know, usually I just get through a few pages. Boom, head hits the pillow. Good night. Takes me about a month or two to read a book. This one I got through in about two weeks because you didn't want to put it down. Each story was wow, 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 really? Wow, 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 really? And then I became skeptical and I went, no way. No way. Sometimes I become skeptical when I read a memoir. I go, really? Is that true? Or just how you remembered it? And I'm not alone because some people also feel that way about Tara, including her family. All right. So what's the book about? She never received a formal education. Her father was a religious fanatic, a survivalist, a conspiracy theorist who thought the government was out to get them and they're going to manipulate his kids if he puts them into public school. So he kept him out, homeschooled, had about seven or eight kids. These parents, they lived in the mountains of Idaho. Mormon family living in the mountains of Bucks Peak, Idaho. And when she describes it, it just sounds like a mystical dream. It really sounds like fiction, where they lived. This home nestled into the rocky cliffs of Bucks Peak, and the father had a junkyard with a bunch of machinery, and they would just hoard, hoard, and hoard, and he would save food because he was prepared for the end of the world at all times, and he did not let his little girl Tara go to school. She never went to school. By age 17, she never saw the inside of a classroom, but one of her brothers said, you know, if you teach yourself study enough, you could take one of these entry-level tests to get into BYU, Brigham Young. And I'm not going to get into all of the many details, but she did. She taught herself, apparently, you know, I got to say apparently because it's a memoir. I don't know if this is all fact, but she did get into BYU. And then she had a lot of success. The whole book goes beyond her academic life, way beyond. I mean, this is a psychological study on personality disorders, nature versus nurture. It's all the many topics I enjoy reading about. I mean, there's abuse involved. There's enlightenment. There's anger. I don't think there's much laughter. Yeah, if you're looking for humor, you, want, you might want to avoid Educated by Tara Westover. But not only does she surge through BYU, she goes to Cambridge, a fellowship, Harvard, grad school. It's just like amazing to see that her natural intellect is not going to be inhibited by zero formal education. Zero. No elementary school, no middle school, no high school for this girl. Yet, 
she has a brain that allows her to have college success. How's that even possible, right? Innate intelligence, I guess. But that's not even why I'm bringing it up. I'm bringing it up because of the religious aspect. Her father and her mother, they really had a goal. And that was to protect their family. And through the teachings of Mormonism, through their faith, they thought that the family would all be saved and they would be protected and they would be fine. It was the exact opposite. It was such dysfunction. And for the father to have this kind of command over young kids, it does sound borderline abusive. You know, what's legal and what's illegal, how we parent. Are you allowed to parent the way you want? I didn't even look that up. Are you allowed to keep your kid out of school or is that illegal? I mean, homeschooled to a certain extent, but this girl was working in the junkyard by the time she was a little girl. And she describes the ugliest and most brutal, gruesome injuries I've ever heard. It's amazing any of them are still alive. Every chapter, there was another near-death experience. That's why I couldn't put the book down. It's the stories about injuries and then just hearing about religion being preached into her face. Yet, in the end, she didn't buy any of it and she's totally estranged. So if there were some takeaways, and I have about a million, one of the big ones is you can't really manipulate the minds of your kids. And you could try. You could try. You say, these are my interests. This is my faith. This is what I prioritize as important. And just put that onto your kids. But at some point, they just develop their own identities. And the world is going to feel a certain way to them. And it might differ. It probably will differ. Actually, of course, it's going to differ from you, the parents. And that's going to be tough. I'm not there yet. Our little girl is one. So, I mean, she's cute. She's funny. She's fun. She likes to eat. She likes to sleep. She's the source of joy in my life. I'm actually not exaggerating. I think most parents know when they're that age, it's just so great. Right now, it's so great. But there's going to be a point where we actually differ on things. That's interesting to think about. Not the little things. Not like I like a Reuben sandwich and she doesn't like corned beef. Oh boy. Or I'm really into basketball, but she thinks it's boring. That one I'm kind of scared of. Or what if she doesn't like stand-up comedy? Actually, everyone likes stand-up comedy, right? Right? That's me projecting once again. I'm just projecting my own tastes onto others. But are there humans that say, I don't like stand-up comedy. I don't like laughing at somebody in front of a mic. No. See, I'm going to want to put all these things into her world. Buy into it. Buy into it. Because they sound good to me. Just like the survivalist father, the Mormon religious fanatic father that Tara had in this book. In his mind, he was doing good things for his kid. But now we read the memoir. You know, it's a New York Times bestseller because most people will read the book and go, oh boy. I mean, that's a terrible childhood. But he didn't know he was providing a terrible childhood. He thought he would be the one, in his mind, the way he was viewing this world, he was protecting her from this ugly government and the ugly society with those ugly public schools. How ugly? How ugly are these public schools that I'm working in? Actually, not too ugly. It's such a great job, actually. It's such a great job as I transition that it's causing people all over America teachers all over America to say, we want to continue doing this job. So we have to actually leave the classroom and fight for higher wages. There's a strike coming this week in Oakland. I wish them the very best. Last month in LA, highly successful strike for the Los Angeles teachers. I wished them the best. 
last year, the uprising was gaining steam from West Virginia to Oklahoma, Kentucky, Washington. You read these stories. I hope you know about these stories that teachers, after having stagnant wages for so long, are finally starting to fight a little bit. It's bubbling up. The powder keg is about to explode. It's bubbling over. And this is good. Have a voice. That's what unions are about. Even though unions have been weakened in this country, as we know, teachers right now, I mean, ride the wave. Ride the wave. You got to be able to live. I don't think teachers are asking for too much. Yeah, I just want enough gasoline in my car. I'd like to make rent. I'd like more than one top from Kohl's. I'd like more than one pair of slacks from Forever 21. I'd like the ability to get five items at Taco Bell. I'm sick of struggling with three. I want to eat five items, and you know I can do that. You don't believe me? You take me through a Taco Bell drive-thru, I could easily put down five items. Maybe six. You think I'm all talk? Let's do this. Let's do the Taco Bell challenge. The TBC voted best challenge in all fast food. Who voted? Nobody. But where was I? Strikes. Oh yeah, the Oakland strike. It's going to go down. Oakland is not a cheap place to live. You know, people always think San Francisco is so expensive. Oakland is now very expensive to live. Teachers can't afford to live there. When did we start to devalue educators? That's the question, right? I could go on and on and on about the current events, but this is systemic. This goes way, yay, yay, yay back. And one theory is that it was viewed as a female profession in the early days of this country when females were being suppressed. And I suppose some could argue that they still are in many ways. But go back to the early days of how professions were divvied out. You get to be a doctor, boys. You get to be a lawyer, boys. Uh, females, there was a shorter list. Now, there was a time where females were told, maybe yeah, nurse, receptionist, teacher. And still to this day, elementary school, middle school, highly populated with female teachers. High school, you start to get 50-50. Not 50-50. But because... Women were oppressed and suppressed in this country, as I've talked about, as they naturally were drawn to the teaching profession, a respectable profession, you know, dealing with kids, that the wages reflected their gender. And that now it's 2019, and perhaps the fight is so behind the curb. It's a retroactive fight. You know, most districts in America, they don't need like 4 or 5% increase. They need like 15 to 16% increases. And then you have plenty of districts where there's like 500 kids to one counselor, not enough tech in the classroom to actually match what society looks like nowadays. And you really have to teach computer science now. You have to teach computer literacy. How do you do that? You need computers, not these old dusty textbooks that go all the way up until Reagan. And I'm in a really good county for education. But as you hear some of these stories, I mean, read some of these stories from Oklahoma or Kentucky. These states that were going on strike are West Virginia. These classrooms were antiquated. These teachers were doing it because it was a calling. That's the only reason to stay with it. It was a calling. Otherwise, it made no sense to continue. And who disagrees? Who's out there going, you know what? I kind of like paying teachers like shit. I kind of like that. Even if you're not in teaching or in education, don't you care that your kids are receiving a good one? politicians who are not allocating enough money aren't they worried when i say politicians though i immediately want to retract that statement because you just think of betsy devos who doesn't understand a damn thing I mean, she's as low as it gets she's as bad as it gets 
her vision of public schools. She doesn't understand a damn thing. She even said about the strikes, I forget which one, maybe it was Oklahoma, maybe West Virginia. She said, I hope these teachers don't drag the adult issues into the classroom. Like the teachers are just bickering with the administrators and that's what they bring into the classroom. Sorry, kids. We're so pissed off that we can't even be with you anymore. It's the opposite. The strikes are based on loving the students, loving the experience of teaching. Anybody who tries to twist it, oh, look at these teachers, leaving the kids alone in the class with subs. Not at all. No one wants to strike. That's the worst part. Nobody wants to strike, but it has to be celebrated. It has to be noticed. The media has to capture it, put it in the face for mainstream America to see. So they're just reminded of, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where we send our kids every single day should probably be improved. You know, rank what's important to society. Rank it right now. Military, very high. Medicine, surgeons, saving lives, very high. Uh, education, yeah, you got to put that in your top three, right? At least top four. Of all things that we value, education, right? And I'm just talking about public schools, elementary, middle, high. When you start talking about college, we are so backwards on that as well. We're putting kids in the hole. Hey, how do you want to start your professional life? In the deep hole? Great. How about a loan to pay back over the next 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40 years? It's getting very political, though. Let me stay away from that college topic and go back to the strikes. I'll just whittle it down to the facts and the sad stuff. There are less and less and less people who want to enter this profession. I believe as of two years ago, it's about 25% less. What I mean by less is the number of new educators completing their degree programs to become teachers. It's about 25% down from 2008. And then they say the attrition is high. So about 17 to 20% leave the profession within the first five years. And that's shitty because there's a lot of training that you go through. If you actually get a teaching job, that means you passed a lot of tests. That means you have some degrees. That means you've student taught, you know, you had a successful enough interview, you got a job. And then within five years, something happens within five years to a large percentage of people where they go, nope, not for me. And I'd hate to think that's all financial, but if it is, then boom, let us see these strikes continue like wildfire and hopefully very successful. You know, I was saying, as you prioritize what's important to society, don't you want the best people doing it? Medicine, don't you want the best doctors? Military, don't you want the strongest soldiers and generals? Education, don't you want the best teachers? Isn't that how we continue our rise to the top? Whatever that means. Don't we want to be voted top schools? Isn't that how we want to advertise? Voted number one public school. Actually, they do rank these things with all the standardized tests. Schools are competitive. You know, we start looking at schools... This especially happens when you're buying a home. You go on Zillow, Trulia, Realtor. What's the one I always went to? I forget. But uh, yeah, you can look at all the schools and there's all these rankings. You go, oh, they're a 7 out of 10 school when it comes to this. They're a 6 out of 10. Ooh, but it's a 9 out of 10 school. You want to be in the right district when you buy a house. Wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to worry about that? I know I'm just fantasizing, but my God, wouldn't that be cool if you didn't have to worry about schools? You just knew no matter where you lived. That the government is taking care of these teachers. All right, real quick, I want to tell you the best show on TV. The best television show on TV, it has become obvious to me. What do I look forward to the most? And it actually is a show within a show. 
some of you will agree. Weekend update, that six or seven minutes with Michael Shea and Colin Jost. Is it Che or Shea? Michael Che? Michael Shea. I don't know. But Michael Che? Shea? And Colin Jost. Weekend update is the best little TV show on all of television. SNL's fine, you know. Last Saturday, Don Cheadle, very good. Love Don Cheadle. Who doesn't love Don Cheadle? It's one of the few actors where everyone goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I love that guy. That was his monologue, too. He's like, y'all know me from something. Boogie Nights, Hotel Rwanda. When people come up to me on the streets, it's always, oh, yeah, I remember you from... He was in a great movie about radio, the early days of radio in D.C. called Talk To Me. Now that you should rent. But just thinking about SNL. So you get through, you know, the monologue, the skits, the musical guest. And then when Weekend Update starts, it's like a whole new show. I honestly could watch it for an hour. Joke after joke after joke landing. I don't remember Weekend Update ever being this good. In my lifetime, you know, Dennis Miller, probably earliest memories, but more so Kevin Nealon. I remember into Norm MacDonald. And then I believe it was Colin Quinn. And then, I don't know. There's been Fallon. There's been Polar. There's been Faye. Cecily once? You kind of start forgetting. Who are the anchors? And it's been bad at times. It's been really bad. And Shay and Jost were bad at first. I remember thinking, this won't work, impatient viewer. But it works so well now. And even the correspondence that they bring on, they're, you know, cultivating amazing recurring characters. I've realized one thing. This is for me. I'm on the left side of the world. If we're polarizing this country right and left, how could you possibly enjoy Weekend Update or maybe SNL altogether if you're a Trump supporter or a Republican? I mean, this show has never, ever put the line in the sand like this. They've never gone this hard after a president. And I know most people would say, well, it's warranted. But still, but still. I had that thought as I was watching. I was like, what if I was a Republican? What if I was a Trump supporter? I feel like my strongest allegiance is to the TV show. I know that sounds ridiculous, but as a human, do I feel more like a Democrat or a Republican? I feel like an SNL fan. If it's funny, it's funny. What I mean by that is if it's a, you know, anti-Democrat joke and it's funny, I can laugh. And there's a couple, but my God, the onslaught of Trump attack material, which is really well-crafted, really well-written and funny, is at such a high level that Trump likes to respond to the show. He thinks of NBC as just, you know, fake news. He's labeling SNL fake news. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Parody, my friend. Call it NBC enemy of the people. Even Alec Baldwin, who plays Trump. He's like, you're calling me an enemy of the people? Do you realize I'm doing sketch comedy? You know, is that a threat, Donnie? And this is the world of Twitter I'm trying to review, which is a toxic world altogether. Somewhat entertaining, though. It's just amazing to think how SNL must be alienating a giant portion of America. See, I sit here in the Bay Area, in my community, in my group of friends, you know, Trump critics, you know, people that aren't really on board with his policies. Probably more on the left side of things. So when I watch SNL, I go, yeah, this makes sense. But I'm not naive enough or blind enough to think that my cluster, my community represents the whole country. No, the beauty of this country is you can lean to whatever side you want to lean. And lean, lean, lean as far as you want to lean. So if there are Trump supporters and they're tuning into NBC on Saturday nights, oh my God, they must hate this. They must feel so attacked. Not saying I feel bad for them. It's just an objective view of what the show has become. And I've seen 
you know, the presidents throughout the years, from Clinton to Bush to Bush, Obama, they make fun of presidents. That's what they do. But this is a little different. So I almost understand, you know, the way Trump has trained us, or I shouldn't say trained us, but the way Trump has caused us to expect tweet after tweet after tweet, just very irrational, impulsive tweets. Of course, SNL is going to bother him. It's an institution. SNL's powerful. It's unlike any other show. SNL's never going to die. Ever. SNL's never going to die. It's just going to continue getting bigger and bigger. And if they are still developing a young audience, maybe Trump is threatened by comedy. How powerful is comedy? Look at Lorne. Who's really the most powerful man in this country? A Canadian fella by the name of Lorne. How many comedies, movies, and shows, if you just watch the credits, executive producer Lorne Michaels. Consultant Lorne Michaels. Produced by Lorne Michaels. This guy's a big dog. Okay? I mean, he's the biggest of big dogs. He's the Tibetan Mastiff. If you do one thing today, Google Tibetan Mastiff video. You gotta see this dog. Looks like a lion. You just wanna hug him. I wanna buy a Tibetan Mastiff and demand that he sleeps in my room as my body pillow. Go ahead. Watch the video. You'll agree. I know you will. All right, that'll do it. Woo! I'm in a deep sweat. How about you? Leave a rating on iTunes, won't you? Give it the old five stars. Voted best podcast on iTunes. Baseless, unscientific data. No actual election, no actual poll. But in the world of false advertising, I guess I get to say things like that. Loose slots, best oil change customer service. So yeah, this will be the best podcast you listen to all day. Voted number one podcast of your day. I'll vote it that way. All right, episode... This happens sometimes. I actually forget. I believe 48. I'm going to pick up my phone and actually go look so I get this right. This is my OCD creeping out. I can't give you the wrong episode number. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Mm-hmm. We are currently in... Hold on. This is episode 48. All right. Episode 48 is now in the books. I'll talk to you soon.